Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to episode 60 of the Bomber Brothers Podcast, part of the Pinstripe Alley community of podcasts. Sean and Ryan here together this time, not not virtually. Breaking all the COVID rules <laughs> here in the, Yan- the Yankee fan cave. Yeah, everything's uh, gone virtual over the past few months, but now we're in person for this episode to do another season in review. This time we're talking about 1999, which um, we talked about this with um, Peter Bodie, who thought that the 99 team gets a little overlooked because it's right in the middle of a three-peat in between the best team of all time and a Subway Series win in the World Series. So it seems like not a lot of people talk about the 99 team, even though when you look at the numbers and remember what they accomplished, they were they were a damn good team, too. Yeah, I mean, they won, what, 98 games, and in the postseason they only lost one game, and that was to Pedro Martinez in the in the ALCS. They lost the game pretty badly, but um, uh, overall they just rolled through the postseason um, on their way to protecting, uh, to protecting the title that they were defending. And still, like, forget the three-peat. It's the last team to go back-to-back um, in baseball. Yeah, that's that's true. And like you said, that that this was probably the most dominant postseason we've ever seen the Yankees have. I mean, you look back to 2009 and they never faced elimination, but they still went to six games in the LCS and the World Series. Even the 98 team was um, was trailing in, in the ALCS at one time. So this Yankees team took a even in the one series they lost, they went into that game with a with a 2-0 series lead. So it just really never felt like the Yankees were in any kind of trouble at all during during that postseason. I yeah, I agree. I think the the only game they lose is to Pedro, and even with losing that game, you know you're not seeing Pedro again unless you Red Sox push it all the way to a game seven, and that just didn't feel very likely with the way the Yankees won two close games against the Red Sox in the ALCS at Yankee Stadium, which we'll get to. And then, um, then yeah, they just kind of rolled straight to the World Series. A couple of underrated World Series games along the way. But, um, I mean, I, th- I think the story for this team isn't just defending the championship from 98, you know, the coming off the heels of the greatest team ever, but 
it's also about what they overcame and i mean the video like the vhs that msg put out was called champions of the heart and this team dealt with a lot a lot of stuff throughout the year yeah and a big part of that was joe tory who was um unable to be in the dugout for for the first bit of 1999 because he was he was dealing with with cancer and you had don zimmer as the acting manager and just another one of those speed bumps or, or for that team you considered it to kind of be a rallying cry and that was kind of what their mantra was to to do it for joe and it was it wasn't like 98 either where they get off to a rough start and they have to have a big team meeting like the 99 yankees just seem to get it done from opening day to the end of the world series yeah, they they pretty much cruised. Um, they had the usual magic working, and uh, I think they go pretty much wire to wire in, in in the standings. I mean, they get off to a you know crazy hot start, starting off what seven and one, and you know by by the end of May they're you know already ten games over five hundred. So. Pretty pretty dominant year beginning to, to end and, and it starts with Don Zimmer in the in the dugout threatening to quit after a little while. I think his knee was hurt walking out for all the pitching changes and then Tory convinced him to stick around once Joe got back and great job by the fans in, in Fenway. Joe's first came back from from the cancer and he gets a standing ovation when he brings out the lineup card. And even before um, the season started, Joe Tory was meeting albert bell because it seemed like bernie williams might not even be back with with the yankees he was he had just won the batting title and was huge for the yankees in the postseason and it looked like he might be on the other side of this rivalry i mean how different would that look because it seemed like bernie was close to a deal with boston and we'll get to this but he has a huge moment in the alcs against boston i mean imagine he's on the other side of the field in the other dugout that would have obviously been weird as hell but it also probably would have been um you know hurtful for uh for the yankees especially given the year bernie had and you'd much rather have him than than albert bell well i mean i think bernie knew what he was doing in the 98 parade where he said when they were you know chanting for bernie to stay and he said you got to talk to this guy and and pointed right at george (laughs) uh george steinbrenner and i mean bernie earned that what was it what was he getting like 12 million dollars a year with his his new contract Mm -hmm. he earned that with how he had played down you know for the yankees and and deserved to get every dollar he could and look boris was bernie's agent boris knew what he was doing he knows how to play teams against each other and i'm sure he knew how to play george steinbrenner like a fiddle and watching a guy who just won the batting title from a red sock who had been a key part of two World Series and, and ending the drought and, and pretty much like, you know, I know we talk about Jeter and the dynasty, but Bernie was really the one that saw it through the through the dark times and then to the then to the uh, empire. And um, I, I think I think Boris knew that Steinbrenner wouldn't sit for Bernie going to the to the Red Sox. And I, you know, I don't think this was a Cashman deal. Right. This was a George deal. And mm-hmm. um you know, I th- I think, th- thank God they didn't get Albert Bell, who was, you know, in his prime a great player, but had, you know, health issues later in his career, and, and Bernie gets to retire a Yankee, as he should. 
And Torrey comes back, like you said, in, in Fenway like when the Red Sox were neck and neck with the Yankees, and then they overtake the Yankees because the Yankees had what was really their only quote-unquote rough stretch of the season, 11-9 and nine, over 20 games, and they fall into, into second place. And then in early June, they take first place back and, and never give it up, and there really wasn't much drama after that. And we didn't even... Before, I guess we got to backtrack again because we're talking about moves. The Yankees um, <laughs> grab um, grab Roger Clemens, and that was like when pitchers and catchers had reported. It was pretty early on in, in spring training, and then all of a sudden David Wells is gone, and here comes Roger Clemens, who the Yankees were used to having on the opposite side of the rivalry. Throwing at them. Yeah, <laughs> and now and now they have Clemens, and, and you lose kind of a – a fan favorite in Wells who was so huge in the in the postseason. I remember not really knowing how to feel about about this because as a kid you heard how good Roger Clemens was, but you for us we had just seen David Wells throw a perfect game and be one of the best postseason pitchers the Yankees have, have had in a while, so it was weird. For sure. I mean I was I was upset about it. You know, Clemens was a Red Sox and he had hit Brocious the year before, I'm pretty sure, and after Brocious tagged him for quite a few hits at a game up in Toronto the year before and you know it just going from Wells to a guy like that um was kind of scary but Clemens winds up you know we talked about it in 2003 becoming one of the Yankees that you really come to root for uh because of his tenacity now he doesn't do great in 2000 or in 1999 excuse me he's got to get his uh got to get his roid guy over to the Yankees before he can start playing well but um he does wind up finishing the season on a nice note, starting the starting the uh, last game of the World Series. But, I mean, he pitches to a 4-6 ERA in 1999. Um, and his FIP is, you know, 4-3-6. His whip is 1.5. So not not a tremendous year for, for Clemens by any stretch of the imagination. But he, he'd get what he needs coming up soon. Yeah. <laughs> and... Is there any any other regular season moments that stand out other than obviously the the big one that we'll get to involving um, another Yankee pitcher? Yeah, I I mean I think you know one of the big things that that stands out was they had a few walk offs that year. I think uh, Brocious had a nice walk off against the Orioles in in '99 and. Um, the Subway Series against the Mets, I know we went to a, a game that they lost, and the next day was a crazy loss. So that was when the Subway Series really, I think, picked up steam because the Mets were good in 99. They had gotten Piazza in 98. You know, they had guys like John Olerud. And I think this was really the start of, like, the the buildup to the 2000 World Series because they played a lot of good games against the Mets um, in 1999. Was 99 the year Jeter had that crazy on-base streak? Yeah, 57 games in a row where he reached base. So, yeah. Yeah, at, yeah. the game we were at at Shea, didn't Piazza hit like a monster home run to dead center? Yeah, it got out of there in a hurry. <laughs> and then I think Olerud hit one off of uh, off of Clemens as well. I think it was two, three, two, two homers for the Mets in that game. And Benita struck Tino out, and I wanted Tino to get some revenge in that game so bad. <laughs> And Dad cheered at a game for the first time for Chili Davis. That's right, yep. 
Oh, still one of the only times we've heard. Well, no, he he yeah, returned. He, he returned to form in the 2017 wild card game when Didi hit the home run. Yeah, he's come out of his shell recently. Um, all right, so then we get to we get to July. It's just before the Yankees are about to go on a pretty dominant stretch to pad their division lead, and it's helped along by by David Cohn, who was um, I thought who I thought was easily the um, Yankees' best pitcher in 1999, and was certainly the best pitcher in the world on July 18th, which was a cool birthday present for myself the day before my birthday, watching David Cohn pitch a perfect game. And who made? I'm trying to think of who made the last out now. Wasn't it uh, Orlando Cabrera? I think so. I I'm just I think. But there were there were a couple of close calls. We had you had the nice play by by Knobloch, which Cone said he thought was which he told us when we talked yeah. to him for the for when his book Full Count came out that you know Knobloch who was about to start having fits with with the yips. That was that hard hit ball that Knobloch made to his uh, backhand side and thought that the perfect game was over right then and there. And instead, Knobloch makes a nice play. And I feel feel like in any perfect game, there's always that one play where you think it's over and you just have to get a little fortunate. And Cone got it there thanks to Knobloch. Well, I mean... I remember when the ball. I remember watching the game at at home with with everybody, and when the balls hit the knob lock, we were all like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and because he was by that point, he was have it was pretty pretty apparent that he was having throwing issues, and um, he makes the play, and I, that's the the day play was in this game, not the Wells game, right? Or was it, yeah. So this yeah. so Cone Cone's perfect game was the day play. Yeah. That's when he like lost it in the yeah. sun. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I thought it was pretty telling because you could tell Lede loses the ball for a second when you're watching it back. But Cone was more nervous when the ball was hit to hit to to Knobloch, and I appreciated his honesty there, not throwing Knobloch under the bus, but it was just apparent with what Knobloch was dealing with, and he makes the play to his credit on you know under, except for a World Series or, or postseason game on the line, the most pressure you could you could experience, I'm sure, as a fielder is, is preserving a perfect game, and um, he makes the play and. You know, I think there's, like, after the perfect game, there's, like, this narrative that Cone doesn't pitch as well. He doesn't get wins, but he still finishes the year at a 3-4-4 ERA. And like you said, the the most valuable pitcher the Yankees have that year. Yeah, like you, you mentioned, Clemens had his struggles in his first year in New York. It was certainly um, a down year for, for Pettit for his standards. Didn't, didn't get much regular season-wise in terms of ERA from El Duque. Of course, he usually shows up in the postseason, which is... What mattered most for these Yankee teams that knew they were going to be in the postseason anyway, so the the rotation wasn't exactly overwhelming like it was in in '98 when you had David Wells um, starting the the All Star game. So it was certainly not like it certainly wasn't the rotation that it was a year ago. But they got the job done because they still had an an awesome offense like Bernie comes back after you thought he could possibly leave. He bats 342. Jeter has probably the best season of his career. His uh his OPS was just under a thousand. He led the league in hits. I think he had two hundred and nineteen hits. Let's see, one fifty three OPS plus the next 
Yeah, Jeter with a 153 OPS plus, Bernie with a 149, and then the next highest is 118, and that was Knobloch. So they were, so Jeter and Bernie were a two-headed monster for the Yankees in in the lineup. I mean, and when you have Knobloch with um, you know a 393 on base at the top of the lineup right before those guys, and good good things happen. That's right. And good things did happen. They won, yeah. they won the the division. I think the Red Sox got it to like three games or something like that, heading down the stretch. But it really was never too much in doubt. The Yankees kept them at arms arms length most of the way, and then they head into the division series against the Rangers, who were our our childhood's version of the Twins. Now, where they just continuously ran into the Yankees in the first round and just got completely shut down offensively. I mean, it's pretty crazy just to think about they in 98 they scored in 98 they scored one run the whole series, I believe. I'm not sure. And I and then they only scored one run in in this series as well. And like I mentioned before, El Duque had his struggles in the postseason as did or in the regular season as did Pettit and Clemens, and they all come out in the playoffs, and it's like they flipped a switch. El Duque pitches a shutout, so does Clemens in in the clinching game three, and then Pettit pitches a great game in game two, and Moe's there to save the last two games. But it, they uh, they start the they start the playoffs off with a with a bang with a big eight nothing win that was kind of a which was actually a pretty close pitcher's duel early on before the offense came to life in in the middle innings yeah and i mean that's pretty much the mo for the yankees right is just stay in the game until you get into their their starter tired or get into their bullpen and have your pitching just hold them down until that point and you know we were talking about him earlier and we're going to talk about him in the in the um alcs but Bernie is Bernie in this round. I mean, Bernie hits over 350 in the division series, has six ribbies, does what Bernie does. And it's pretty amazing to have a guy that just consistently keeps coming up time after time again um, in in the postseason. And, and 99 proves no different. Bernie was a beast in 96, 98 had some big hits, and then 99, the, the beat goes on. And, um, you know, another thing that, we were talking about the rotation. I think 99 is a turning point for Andy Pettit because he pitches great in game two. Now, Andy Pettit's known for being a good postseason pitcher, but there was some talk of him getting traded, and I believe Stottlemyre and Torrey both like said they would quit if they traded Andy Pettit or something like that. There was some sort of big thing that went down uh, in the middle of the year and when Steinbrenner wanted to train, chain, trade Andy, excuse me, and then after they refused, he, he kind of settled down and started to pitch better. Obviously, he has a good year in 2000 and, and so on. But, um, you know, we, we get to the division series, and, and Pettit goes out and pitches well. And uh, that's what we're used to from Andy. Yeah, he pitched two. pitched a great game in, in game two. Though, for a while, the Yankees were were losing that game. It was, it was one nothing, And then they... Um, and then they got a big hit from I think Chili Davis. Yeah, Chili Davis had had a big hit, and the Yankees uh, score an ins- a big insurance run in the eighth. And then by that time Mo comes in, and, and then you know it's over. And then they're up two zero, and then they close it out in Game Three thanks to thanks to Clemens, who you finally kind of start to see 
you know why the Yankees made this trade and and got rid of a pitcher in David Wells who who you were used to seeing have these dominant postseason starts. Yeah, kind of fitting po- first postseason start in Texas for for Clemens, who's Mister Texas, and uh, Yankees waste no time, jump out ahead, and uh, the losing pitcher was Esteban Loiza, who we would see rear his ugly head in Yankee history later in uh, later in the next decade. But um, yeah, Clemens does what they he was brought here to do. Now, ninety nine ALCS doesn't go as well for the for Roger, but um, no, he does have that sandwiched around two two shutouts so right he, he the Yankees won game four for nothing in 99 I think yeah all right so good stuff from from the rocket man yeah you mentioned Loiza, you mentioned Loiza and then who closed or finished that game for the Rangers John Wetland hmm. who we don't need to talk about yeah but then they, uh, I remember watching, and it felt weird rooting for the Red Sox to win the other series because you wanted a Yankee-Red Sox ALCS. Yep. And we got it. And the Red Sox, were they They were down 2-0 in that series. Yeah, they right? were down to, 2-0, to and then they, they went crazy at Fenway. And, um, you know, the game was tied, like, what, 8-8 in the third inning in yeah, Game 5? Yeah, something and they ridiculous. Pe- and they brought Pedro in. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, I mean, this is right around where Pedro is, is reaching his peak. He's about to have that ridiculous year in 2000 and and still the best starting pitcher I've, I've ever seen when, he's, when he was at his peak, and this was certainly it. So seeing him come out of the bullpen and shut it down, and then you know you have a Yankees-Red Sox series. And when did, and then this was setting up the stage for our first postseason game that we ever went to, which was which was game two. And didn't like didn't we find out we were going during game one when we were watching it on TV? So yeah, we were watching game one on TV, and Dad told us like in the first inning that we can't watch the whole game because we have to go to bed early, and we we're complaining. And well, Dad said, "Well, it's because we're not going to be watching the game here tomorrow night," and we all went nuts because we knew what that meant. Um, but he's like, I didn't even say where we're going yet. We could be going to Uncle Rob's. I remember he said that. And we're like, why would we go watch the game at Uncle Rob's house? Yeah, and then he showed a, us a Mets the fan. <laughs> then he showed us the tickets, and uh, we went. And I remember he was like, well, you better hope that they turn this one around. Because while we were all going nuts, um, you got Jeter making an error on 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 a ball, and then Brian Dawback uh, <laughs> getting a hit to put the Red Sox up 2 nothing at that point. And... Um, the Red Sox went stretching lead to three nothing, but uh, Scott Procia shows in that an inning or two later that uh, ninety nine was no fluke, and he goes yard against Kent Merker. Yeah, and some of the names on this ninety nine Red Sox team are uh, interesting ones. Yeah, and you know they, they so it's three two from basically the what bottom of the second to the bottom of the seventh, and the Yankees are still losing this game three to two. El Duque holds them in the game, and, you know, um, Brocious, again, gets things started with a single to left in the seventh. Knobloch does, you know, lays down a bunt like he should. Yep. And uh, Jeter, Jeter is Jeter, and he comes up and he ties the game with a single, which gets overlooked, I feel like, in the game because, you know, you get to the... 
bottom of the 10th inning, and the first batter is Bernie Williams. And for the second time in his career, in the first game of the ALCSC, it's a walk-off home run. And I think that's such a crazy thing. Like, the first game of a series, to go to the World Series is so important, and Bernie has two walk-off home runs in the in those games. Yeah, you, I also remember... I also remember what's what stands out about that home run is Rod Beck pitching and just looks like the most like Blue Haywood from from Major League. He like has that like big yeah. big mustache and like the long hair hanging out of the back of his head and he's like furiously chewing on on his gum like he he's he's Blue Haywood if he were a pitcher. <laughs> but it's it was like it wasn't it's not like Bernie really could get his arms extended on that on that walk-off. It was kind of inside. How he managed to hit that over the wall in dead center is, is pretty impressive. But he did, and it gave the Yankees a, a series lead, so then it felt a lot better going to the game the next night. And then we get to see another really good game in Game 2. Yeah, I mean, Game 2 was a really good game. Cone against Ramon Martinez, and just going to our first postseason game was awesome. And then to get such a great game was crazy. It was our first time experiencing the postseason at Yankee Stadium, and and I think it was the fourth inning. Tino went deep, so obviously that was the first Yankee home run we had ever seen. Yep, this was our fourth game going, and no Yankee had ever went deep, and Tino went yard, and that was great. But then Nomar goes deep. I think in the bottom of the inning, it's a two-run shot, and the Yankees are losing the game 2-1, even though Cohn is striking out pretty much everybody. I yeah. remember he had a ton of Ks that game. Um, but the Yankees, you know, Cohn holds it close. The Yankees don't score for, for a while, and then you get to the bottom of the seventh, bottom of the eighth. The seventh, when Knobloch gets, yeah. gets the big hit. Yeah, and I mean, it starts, you know, with what? Uh, a walk? Or... I'm not, I don't I think it was a walk. I don't remember how the rally starts, but they get going. Knobloch hits a double down the corner, steals third, Jeter walks, and then O'Neal, lefty on lefty, playing with a broken rib, uh, get, drives in the go-ahead run with a little bloop O'Neal hit over the shortstop hole, over the shortstop's head. And, and I remember in the bottom of the eighth, the Red Sox loaded the bases and the Yanks got out of it. And uh, Moe ran into a little trouble in the ninth, but... Got the K to win the game. Yep, and I I still remember walking out of the stadium and just like thinking about how cool it was, like what we just got to just got to see, and just also feeling like that the series was over and that the Yankees were were going to the World Series. And yeah, the next day didn't go great. No, or next the two days later because they had the off day in between. I still I I still um, remember. Our other, our grandfather, who's a huge Red Sox fan, he's. I think he still has the newspaper clipping from that, from that game on his wall in his basement with like Clemens just like, um, keeled over on the mound and like the, uh, Green Monster scoreboard in the background just like showing all the runs that they put up on him. That that was, that was an all time blowout. Yeah, but again, up until two thousand four, that's really the best moment the Red Sox have between Fisk's home run and and 2004 yeah. <laughs> so congrats you lost the series four to one um but then they they get down to business the next night in game four Andy goes out gives up two runs and seven and a third and game four is a really close game you know Mariano's got to get out of a jam in the eighth 
Yeah, and then the offense certainly rewards him after that. Yeah. I think Ricky Lede had a grand slam, right? Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, yes, he does, yeah. Oh yeah, because it was off of Rod Beck again. Yeah, <laughs> tough, tough series, buddy. Yeah, not not the best series for uh for Rod Beck. And Daryl Strawberry hits his second home run of the postseason year after missing the postseason with cancer. This one off Brett off Sabre. the pole, right? Yeah, I remember Grandpa Grandpa Chick went with us to the to the ALCS game two that we were talking about, and he told me that if Daryl got a hold of one, he would hit it off the Utz Pretzel sign that was you know behind us. And Strawberry, I think, struck out three or four times that game. And I remember saying to him on the ride home, you know, you were wrong. And he goes, well, he never got hold of the one. So all right. Well, he got a hold of one in Fenway. Fair enough. Well, and then the Yankees take care take care of business in game five. They go, they put up two runs in, in the first inning, and um, El Duque completely shuts down Boston, continues his um, aura of being a – dominant postseason pitcher and the Yankees go to the World Series that's it that's the play with the phantom tag right the Knobloch doesn't tag the runner and then they throw all the garbage on the field yeah Oh, I mean, come on! You're getting crushed. Who cares? Jeter started that game with a, a two-run homer, right? Because Knobloch let off and he got on base, and yeah. then Jeter hit the home run. Yeah, and I think Posada hit one in the ninth. And that, uh, yeah, that set the tone for the clinching game. Then the Yankees go back to the World Series, and a familiar foe is waiting. The battle for the team of the century. Yeah, team of the decade. Sorry, team of the decade. Team of the decade. The team of the century was cemented back in like 1940. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the battle for the team of the decade, and I, I mean, I think it's pretty apparent. It's the Yankees. The the Braves have a lot of regular season success, but the Yankees win three championships, two of them against Atlanta, stopping them in their tracks, um, and one of them in in crazy fashion, and the other one in dominant fashion. So, um, you know, game one is is El Duque again, and gives up the solo shot to Chipper in in one of the more underrated World Series games. The Yankees are losing one nothing in the eighth inning, and put together a four run rally, off all sorts of weird stuff. I think Rocker comes in and walks in a run at one point. Maddox starts this game and he's not as sharp in the eighth inning. I think he walks Daryl Strawberry, which uh, Maddox to walk anybody is is pretty rare. But um, again, Brocious with a three hit night and his single in the in the eighth inning starts that rally. Yeah, it would, and then uh, you had the Jeter single. You had um, Tino got to hit that. Tino got to hit Maddox making an error. Um, oh no, not not Maddox. Sorry, I think it was Klesko who made an error. And yeah, the ball pops out of the fielder's hand. Yeah, on the bunt. Yep. And then the yeah, so the Yankees take like you said a, a kind of overlooked game one, which was which was really exciting. And then you had a not so exciting game two when the Yankees just completely dominated and started this series on the road because the Braves won 103 games Well, that's and not the National League won yet. the All-Star game. Well, no, back then they used to just flip-flop. It would be oh, AL, that's right, AL, yeah. AL, NL, so it was the, uh, so it was the NL's year. And, they yeah, they didn't go to the All-Star game thing until um, I think it was 2002 or 2003. This one counts. Oh yeah. Well, it was whatever year ended in a tie, which I don't care. It's an exhibition game, but that yeah. was that was a big uproar, so they had to change all that. 
So, yeah, they, they win game two rather easily. David Cohn pitches a nice game. Gets, uh, you know, gets his last World Series win of his career. And um, then they go back to Yankee Stadium. And Andy Pett doesn't have it at Yankee Stadium. No. Kind of gives up uh, quite a few runs. But the Yankees hit a bunch of solo shots off of Glavin, I feel like, and kind of get back into the lead. And the bullpen does a really good job of, of keeping things close. And I think in one of the weirder moments in World Series, Yankee moments, who 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 was it? Brian Jordan goes back on that now block ball, and really the ball hits off Brian Jordan's glove and yep. goes into the short porch. The most Yankee Stadium home run you could have. And... Um, yeah, so a little help from the Braves there. Tino hit a homer that game. Or, you know, I know that. And um, Curtis had hit one earlier in the game. It was not known for hitting home runs. And apparently tells Brocious he wants to hit one that counts, and he comes up in the extra innings and ends the game. Yeah, certainly hit one that, that counts there. Yeah. He, had, he had a good bat flip, too. Yeah, yeah, the little, the, the little flip. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty disgusting watching, listening to the 99 World Series video, and he says that after he home run, his friends, the his friends, the teammates said that they were glad it happened to him because he was a good guy, and just think about what happens with him, and he is not a good guy. But, you know, sometimes you just don't know somebody, and um, it's sad that there's a couple of the Yankee Dynasty guys that it's really hard to watch their highlights back, and you look at it kind of, you know, kind of with your eyes, uh, eyes, you know, slanted or whatever and uh he had a weird interview afterwards too remember i think jim gray comes up to him and wanted to talk to him and he's like no we're not going to talk to you guys because of the way you treated uh pete rose at the the oh, century yeah, team the thing. Century thing but this one's for you grandma <laughs> <laughs> he said something crazy like that but uh yanks are up 3-0 and Rocket man's on the mound for game four and i mean at this point it's just you know they, the fans had put the it had said 24 world time world series champs on in the upper deck the fans already pasted over that with like 25 and yep i remember bob costa said hopefully not prematurely but i mean it was just you know it was just a matter of time at that point yeah obviously this was a good game for us tino and jeter both had big hits to did they give tino a hit on that because that was really a ball klesko should have fielded yeah no they they gave him the hit though nice and like you said it was a, a redemption game for Clemens, who had struggled for most of the year, especially in in the in the ALCS, but he goes seven and two thirds and only allows one run, four hits, and then the Yankees are are champs again, like you said, back to back. And then, obviously, would become a three peat, but still the last team to win consecutive World Series. It's crazy when you look at these games how long the starters stay in. Like I was watching, and I remember Clemens. You know he tweaked his hamstring going to cover first and then he gave up the hit to give up the run but it's like he's pitching in the eighth inning and they're still like okay yeah maybe you could stay in and pitch through this it's it's crazy you never see that anymore no yeah definitely um you know i I think a thing about this team too is they just they understood how to chip away with the with the way they have that rally in the third and then obviously layeritz is the home run in the eighth the last home run of the century just layeritz being layeritz in the postseason but i mean to win the two World Series against the Braves, they beat their two best pitchers, I think, and, and John Smoltz and um, and um, Greg Maddox, and then beat their third best pitcher in 
crucial swing games, both in Game 3, they beat Glavin both years. And um, it's pretty incredible what they're able to do against those pitchers. And um, the Yankees do their job and and take care of business. And Mo pitches one and one and a third. No runs, no walks, no hits, no sweat, as they yeah. say. And That'll secure an MVP. Yep. Remember he broke, I think it was Klesko he faced, and he broke his bat like 14 times in the same at-bat. Yeah, <laughs> something something weird. Like I think that, that whole chair that what, what was it the twins? Is Klesko's bats? I think it was just all Klesko's. Yeah, I was thinking about that, and then um, then that was it. They're the, they're the champions again, like you said, back to back, a belly to belly, and this one gets overlooked because they ninety eight was so special for the greatest team ever. Two thousand is the Subway Series, but this team was a really good team that overcame a lot. I mean, Paul O'Neill's dad dies the day before game four or the, yep. the, the, the morning of game four and he goes out and plays and pretty incredible. And that's it. That's number it. 25. Yeah. Number 25 well, is, is number 26. The only one left. Yeah. Hey, I don't want to talk about it. Now. I mean, you know, honestly, of all the years we've done, I'd probably slot 2019 ahead of a couple of them. Like 2012, I'd put 2019 ahead of, but um, and 2007. But we talked about that all that year. Was literally last, last year. Last year. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm kind of just figuring 2000 is the last one we'll talk about. And then uh, we'll have to find some sort of new topic to discuss. Well, we can do that. Yeah. Luckily, we'll have an extra week to think about it because, like we said, next week we'll be back to talk about 2000, the first time in the in this series that we're going to go consecutive years and back-to-back weeks but it's really the only notable one left so that's what we're going to do and thanks to everyone for listening to this one and we'll be back next time to talk about 2000 see you later everybody